Open your Bibles with me this morning to Colossians chapter 2. work our way through this little letter from Paul's to the church at Colossae this summer. So many great things in this book, and today we get basically the theme of the New Testament. The theme of the New Testament is summed up, really, in verse 9. For in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. and In him you have been made complete the sufficiency of Jesus Christ. Will you stand with me as I read the passage? Heavenly Father, come upon us with understanding that your Holy Spirit would descend and open our eyes to this passage, that we would see it and understand it, and Lord, it would fill our hearts, and there would be no question in our minds how we are called to live because Christ is sufficient for all of our needs. Lord, grant us understanding, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Colossians chapter 2, and I'll read verses 8 through the end of the chapter. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception, according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. For in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form, and in him you have been made complete, And he is the head over all rule and authority. And in him you also were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, in the removal of the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised up with him through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. And when you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven all our transgressions. Having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us and which was hostile to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. When he had disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him. Therefore, let no one act as your judge in regard to food or drink or in respect to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day, things which are a mere shadow of what is to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one keep defrauding you of your prize by delighting in self-abasement and the worship of angels, taking his stand on visions he has seen inflated without cause by his fleshly mind and not holding fast to the head from whom the entire body, being supplied and held together by the joints and ligaments, grows with a growth which is from God. If you have died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world, why, as if you were living in the world, do you submit yourself to decrees such as, do not handle, do not taste, and do not touch, which all refer to things destined to perish with the using, in accordance with the commandments and teachings of men? These are matters which have, to be sure, the appearance of wisdom in self-made religion and self-abasement and severe treatment of the body, but are no value against fleshly indulgence. 
This is the inspired word of God for us today. So please be seated. You have been made complete, made complete in Christ. Is that the end of the sermon? (laughs) That, That sums it up. I mean, you've been made complete in Christ. You are, from a spiritual point of view, complete in him. That is, as I said, the theme of the New Testament, that Christ in, is the, in him the fullness of God dwelt, and you are made complete. Matthew to Revelation speaks to that. 2 Corinthians 12, my grace is sufficient for you. Ephesians chapter 1 says that in Christ we have been blessed with all the spiritual blessings. All the spiritual blessings are ours in Christ. Okay, having the Lord Jesus Christ is to have everything needed for the spiritual life for all eternity. Not having Christ means you have nothing. Well, I've got this and this and this and this. I've got these pack of works that I've, you know, I sang in the choir for 30 years and, and I put up with Donald for 30 years. Uh, that gets you nothing. Sorry, Donald. It gets you nothing. If you don't have Christ, Christ, you've got everything. No Christ, you've got nothing. You'll stand before the Lord and come to him and say, Lord, I've done all these things. And he'll say, I knew you not because you did not have Christ. See, the idea that all we need is Christ is not that popular today, day in which we live. And it's not as if the majority of people deny the existence of Christ, deny his historic presence. I mean, that's pretty much uh, seen. But there are a lot of people who want to use the name of Christ and want to talk about Christ, but they want to talk about him as a starting point, as a place from which their spiritual lives kick off to, and then you can add things on to it to make sure that you're covered. Okay, And we've talked about this before. It's Christ plus something. Christ plus works. Christ plus attendance. Christ plus I don't do this and I don't do that and I don't do this. Christ plus maybe some other gods. It's not uncommon to uh, come across a, a person who's a, a Hindu and share their, your faith with them and they are very interested and they will talk about it and be interested in it and even believe in Jesus Christ but to them what they have done is added another God in which they can worship to their little packet of gods they have quite a few okay not to put him first in their life but to add him to the rest paul writes to the colossians because they're being intimidated by uh, false teachers who say Christ plus something else. Christ was not sufficient. For them, it is uh, rationalism or intellectualism or philosophy or ceremonies or laws or uh, hoops you have to jump through, all those types of things, rules, rituals, mystical experiences, encounters with angels. They want all these things that have to be added to Christ. And, and Paul's writing, and says, you don't have to add anything to Christ. He is sufficient. It's not as if you have to live in self-denial. It's not as if you have to, as the monks uh, used to think in the Middle Ages, that they had to, to beat themselves, self-flagellation, to make yourself pleasing to the Lord. It's none of that. It is Christ. And in today's world, it is common again to think that Christ is not enough. Now, I would have to say that this is true. That Christ is not enough, given the Christ that some people believe in. The Christ that some people believe in look an, looks an awful lot like you and I. 
He's got failings, weaknesses. In the Barna poll, one-third of the church members polled said that Christ was not sinless. I mean, how can you have a perfect sacrifice who is involved in sin? If you don't have a perfect sacrifice, what do you have then? Well, you don't have salvation. You don't have forgiveness because the price has not been paid. Christ, for some of them, is more like a, uh, I don't know, a sugar daddy or something like that, rather than a Lord and a Savior to whom they must bow down to, to whom they must understand that they have to conform our entire lives to the things of Christ. Now, during this time when the Colossians was written, and in the Greek world in general, the highest seat of intellectualism was reserved for the philosophers, those people who would spend their life talking about those lofty questions. They were the cream of the crop. They did the reasoning for the rest of society. Now, in the modern world, you know, having read a lot of philosophers, I don't think we've had a decent philosopher since the end of the 1700s. Okay? We as a culture still, still deal with the thoughts of a man named Immanuel Kant. Immanuel Kant was a German philosopher who never traveled more than 60 miles from his home, lived in the late 1700s, and he challenged us on the existence of God, our purpose for being, and on and on and on like this, and we are still wrestling with those questions. We've had other philosophers come, and and they may have added something to that existing work, but they really haven't challenged us in any ways. We've had good Christian theologians who have pushed us, but frankly, that reading is mostly reserved for believers. Not many non-believers read Christian theologians. Well, who are the philosophers today? If you had to pick out those people who were setting the tone for everything that we needed to chew on, who would be a philosopher today? I'm going to offend everybody with this one, okay? The media and politicians. you got your Rush Limbaugh's, and you got your Nancy Pelosi's, you've got a variety of presidents who all have a bully pulpit who can stand up and promote a philosophy or throw out things that the rest of us are, cause, are, are, are supposed to chew on. Unfortunately, they are seldom the lofty things, the things of our existence and our purpose, the things of which we are called to do. So often they are temporal things, more geared towards our self-centeredness, our, my agenda, my comfort, my own personal power. And Paul is very clear in here, in uh, verse 8, when he says, See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception." according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. See, in Sunday school, I I said it was a conspiracy because we were going to talk about some of the same things here. When you focus on the wisdom of the world, you are really focusing upon what Paul calls the elementary principles. These would be the things that you learned in elementary school. They are so basic, they are not the higher and the loftier things. They are not the things that really stretch us and cause us to think. They are not the things that mature believers are to focus upon. We think that today's philosophers articulate all of the answers to man's needs. They're the brightest. They're the highest intellectual people. No, not really. Really, they're not very bright when you look at what Scripture says. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Now, for those in Sunday school, you have this memorized because we looked at it. But if you want to turn there, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, we'll read about wisdom. 
and read about what it is that we are to pursue. You and I possess the knowledge of Christ. That inherently makes us wiser than the smartest person who does not possess the knowledge of Christ or the mind of Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Oh, let's start in verse 18. For the word of the cross is to those who are perishing foolishness, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the cleverness of the clever I will set aside. Where is the wise man? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God. What he's, what's he saying is that you can be very bright and you can read the word, but unless the Lord opens your eyes, your own wisdom will not get you to God. Your own ability to reason and to understand will not get you to God. It will get you to the fact that there is a God, but to get to the person of Jesus Christ. That must be revealed to you from the word of God. 21 again. For since the wisdom of God, in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God. God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. It's not saying the foolish preachers. Okay. But there are plenty of foolish preachers. But in the mind of the world, the message that we preach here is foolishness. It is not wisdom. It is not higher learning. It is not the mature thoughts. It is foolishness. But yet, from the things of Scripture, it is this foolishness that really makes us mature. It is this foolishness that brings us to the level of wisdom because then we can possess the mind of Christ. See, rather than advancing human wisdom, worldly philosophy really kind of regresses from the truth. And the ultimate truth is the things of God. The wisdom of man, arbitrary, foolishness. The mind of Christ is revealed to us in the word of God and through the spirit of God, not because we are the best and the brightest. Gee, let me think. Jesus comes into the world, the incarnation, born of a virgin, lives this sinless life, about 30 years old, he picks some followers. Who does he pick? A bunch of fishermen and carpenters, and a cheating tax collector, and, 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 you know, nowhere do we see that he picked the best and the brightest. It was not that they believed because they were so smart. They believed because they were given the gift of faith, and their eyes were open. Okay? We're not the children of God because we're brilliant. We're the children of God because we believe. Because the gift of faith has been given to us. So when someone comes along and says, well, Christ is a good starting point, but you need more than that, that is not great insight. That is not great intellect. That is immaturity because they do not understand Christ. Verse 9 says, in him all the fullness of God dwells. Now, I don't want you to get puffed up when I tell you this. But we are the elite intellectually. Did you know that? Now, I've just said you don't have to be smart to be a believer. 
You have to believe. But once you are a believer, you become the elite intellectually because you have the wisdom of God. That doesn't mean you can go out and design some nuclear reactor or new submarine or airplane or something like that. It simply means you know what is really important. You have access to the way that God expects you to live. You have the real knowledge, as much as humanly possible, of who our Heavenly Father is. The natural man does not understand the things of God. He is dead to them. Now, having worked in a funeral home for for four and a half years, I know dead. Okay? Uh, When you go down and talk to them, they do not respond. When you do things for people who have passed away, they don't thank you. They are dead. But when they're made alive again, if that was possible, then they would be able to hear. And the same thing is true with us. We are dead in our trespasses. We are dead to the things of Christ. We cannot hear the things of Christ until he comes and makes us alive. And once he has made us alive, then we can hear. Then we can understand. Then we can have the mind of Christ. Okay, so the first attack really was intellectual. The second attack comes in legalism. Colossians chapter 2, verse 16. Therefore, let no one act as your judge in regard to food or drink or in respect to a festival or new moon or a Sabbath, things which are a mere shadow of what is to come. But the substance belongs to Christ. The substance belongs to Christ. There are those who want to make spirituality directly directly related to some sort of moral behavior. Um, Charles Spurgeon put it this way. Would you be a Christian... If there was no 11 o'clock Sunday morning service, it'd be 1030 with us. Would you be a Christian if you didn't come here on Sunday mornings at 1030? What else in your life demonstrates that you're a believer? Well, I've got it here in my heart. Well, I want to see it. James says what? Demonstrate it. Demonstrate it. Would you be a Christian if you just if we'd stopped worship at 10:30 would there be anything else in your life that would demonstrate that you were a believer See and it's not the fact that you don't do things as we're going to see in a moment Christianity is not defined by what I don't do it is defined by what Christ has done Okay by what Christ has done Verse 18, let no one keep defrauding you of your prize by delighting in self-abasement. This is false humility. There were false teachers at at Colossae, and they were going around, and this is the only way I can describe it, telling everybody how humble they were, Okay, which is an oxymoron. Let me tell you how humble I am. That just doesn't happen. Okay. They were going around telling everybody how humble they were, and they were attempting to drag people into this view of mysticism and visions that they had. And they said, well, we're really not anything special, but the Lord is coming to us in visions. I was, uh, I was in, a, in a meeting, uh, you know, one of the gatherings that I go to, and there was a pastor and, and, a, and a, uh, a member who were standing there talking. I just happened to be walking by. And, uh, and I heard the conversation. I had to stop and listen to it all. The guy told his, his pastor, he said, sometimes when I'm shaving in the morning, Jesus comes to the bathroom and he puts his arm around me and he talks to me. Now, he's never done that to me. Now, I, I don't know about you, but, you know, that stopped me dead in my tracks. And I, and I, I, so I didn't want to go, huh? 
you know, and, and really listen. So I just kind of worked around the edges. And the pastor said, you mean the real Jesus? And he said, yeah. He mean, he comes to you in the bathroom and, and actually speaks to you in the morning sometimes? He said, yeah. And then the pastor asked him this question. Do you keep on shaving or do you fall on your face in the presence of a holy God? And the guys, you know, it went pew, it's right over his head. He didn't know what the pastor was referring to. And see, if Jesus comes to you in bodily form, we find this in Scripture very clearly. Okay? Down on your face before him. Because a holy and righteous God has come to you in bodily form. Now, you know, I, I, I don't think that's going to happen because what we have is sufficient for us today in the word. But it went right by this guy. He thought Jesus was coming and talking to him. But he treated him like he was, you know, his goomba or something. Oh, yeah, Jesus was there this morning and we're having a little talk. Uh, I, I don't think so. Christ is sufficient. We don't need visions. Now, if the Lord deems it appropriate to send an angel down to communicate something that is supported in Scripture, that is the Lord's business, and we praise God for that. But we always check in Scripture what we see. Okay, one more problem faced here. Verse 20. If you have died with Christ to the elementary principles, that's the, the, the ABCs of human wisdom, if you've done that, why are you living in a world... Do you, why, as if you were living in the world, do you submit yourself to the decrees such as do not handle, do not taste, do not touch? See, that's still, there are still remnants of that in the Christian faith in the church today. I, defining your faith by what you don't do. Defining your faith by what you don't do. See, can't you see how spiritual I am? I don't drink, I don't smoke, I don't gamble, I don't swear. I mean, those things might be fine. But it's not by what you don't do, it's defined by what Christ has done. Okay? Because he is sufficient. If my not doing something was sufficient, my goodness, we could do that, couldn't we? I could abstain from certain things. And I see, see what I don't do, see how holy I am because I don't do those things? That's not it. It's what Christ has done. And then it's the living out of that grace that he has bestowed upon our lives. Throughout history, people have try to remove themselves from things such as that so they can show how holy they were. There was a period in time where a certain group of monks, a certain uh, faith, like they weren't Augustinian monks, but they were monks, thought that the body was really sinful. And they didn't want to look at their naked body, so they didn't bathe. And this went on for years and years. And you can imagine how their influence got smaller and smaller and smaller. Okay? But they were holy because they didn't. Our faith is defined by what Christ did. These things, the intellectualism, rationalism, legalism, asceticism, all promote a self-made religion, not a Christ-sufficient religion. There's so many things in the world that we think are important, even crucial to faith, but there's only really one thing, and that is Christ. Christ. Anything that we would add to Christ is human wisdom. Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah, says anything that you're going to add to God is a broken cistern that can hold no water. A broken cistern that can hold no water. Christ is sufficient. Now, if you found in your life for some reason that you don't think Christ is sufficient, 
to, for you to understand God, for you to know forgiveness, for you to understand what he calls us to do. It is in all probability that you have only grasped a small portion of Christ. You have put in worldly wisdom to your understanding of Christ and not rely completely on how he is revealed here. I tell you, it makes the world so much easier when you understand that Christ is sufficient for your needs. Let's pray. Lord, we face so many things in this world. So much wisdom is out there. But the real wisdom is in here. Right in this book. It is the revelation of Jesus Christ. His life, his work, his teachings, what we are called to do because of that. If he is sufficient for all our needs, Lord, why would we ever hold anything back? Why would we ever attempt to compartmentalize our lives and, and keep you out of some portion when Christ is sufficient for all things, for our knowledge of you, for how it is that we are called to live, for a peace, for compassion, for joy. These things that come from Christ form the basis of how it is we will live in this world. We know that you give us certain gifts certain abilities, both physical abilities, emotional, intellectual, and we are to use them with all our energy and all our passion so that you might be glorified in what we do. But Lord, never let us forget what underlies all that we are. Never let us cling on to something else that we would we would hold on to in hopes of that, well, hedging our bet. Maybe Christ isn't sufficient. Again and again in your word, we see that he is. Let this underlie all that we do, all that we say, all that we believe, that we may walk in holiness and righteousness, lives that are pleasing to you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Our hymn is 574, Revive Us Again. Let's stand as we sing 574. We praise thee, O God, for the Son of thy love, for Jesus who died and is now gone above. Hallelujah, thine the glory. Hallelujah, amen. Hallelujah, thine the glory. Revive us again. We praise thee, O God, for thy spirit of light, who has shown us our Savior and scanished our night. Hallelujah, thine the glory. Hallelujah, amen. Hallelujah, thine the glory. Revive us again. All glory and praise to the Lamb that was slain, who has taken our sins 
sins and has cleansed every stain. Hallelujah, thine the glory. Hallelujah, amen. Hallelujah, thine the glory. Revive us again. Revive us again. Fill each heart with thy love. May he so be rekindled with fire from above. Hallelujah, thine the glory. Hallelujah, amen. Hallelujah, thine the glory. Revive us again. Now may the Lord grant you peace as you go from this place. That you would walk in his will and in obedience to his word. That he would shine his face upon you. That you would know his grace and his peace. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen.